This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Today, I'm talking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. public sector NetApp, president Weber Strategies, and current professor at the Catholic University. Mark is a veteran executive with over 30 years of experience in technology, sales, and engineering. Mark has had several roles within the information technology space, and most recently was the senior vice president for Americas for NetApp. Under Mark's leadership, this Vienna-based NetApp office was ranked in the top 10 of best places to work in D.C., and this was six times by the Washington Business Journal, as well as repeatedly listed in Washingtonian's best 50 places to work. That's pretty impressive, Mark. Today, Mark Weber is the first executive in residence uh, for the Catholic University of America here in Washington, D.C., where he's teaching a course entitled Selling and Sales Management. And of course, as Mark always does, mentoring students. So first, Mark, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, Aileen. It's good to see you again. Good to see you too. Um, So Mark, um, I'd, I'd like to, you know, just ask you a question from where you got your enthusiasm and start. Was there an event or person that inspired you or had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? You know what? I'm sure you're going to ask me a lot of questions, and some of them I won't know the answer. That one's easy for me. It's my dad. My dad was a career sales guy. Um, I knew I wanted to go into sales from the beginning of my life. I mean, I really just knew it. And mostly just because I saw that the lifestyle of sales was just fantastic. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. He, put, he was able to put his family first. He was able to control his schedule. You know, some days he worked... 12, 15 hours, but the next day he was home to make sure we made our, he made our baseball practice, right? So I love that about sales, and I love that my dad got paid for results, right? And he was driven by the kind of results he had to give. Um, so it was pretty easy. My dad was there, and I watched him every day, and what a better mentor than that can you have, right? Wow, that, so, that's, that's great to hear. Is there any advice he ever gave you that you found that you've used over and over in your life? Um, you know, some of the simple advice was he was not in a high-margin sales business, right? He was in the appliance business, nothing wrong with that, in the kitchen business, which is great, but he pushed me to get a technical degree, right, and to go get an engineering degree. Even though I want to go into sales, I got something technical, and so he wanted me to have a logo, you know, you're an engineer, um, even though I wanted to be into sales, and that allowed me to get into the high-tech side of things because I was an engineer, so... Mark, if someone was asked you who worked for you or uh, today or work with you today or in the past uh, to describe you as a leader, what do you think they would say? I think they'd say I'm very direct. N- not a little bit, but very direct. But I'd also think they'd say I'm not directive. Um, I let people make their own decisions. You know, I, I ask a ton of questions, but I'd say I empower people a lot. I mean, my theory on hiring people is you hire great talent and then you let them do their job. So very direct, but not directive. And I think they'd say, I care. I know a lot about people. I have a 
kind of a memory, kind of a weird memory where I remember nuggets about everybody, you know, just little things. I remember what coffee you drink, you know, from the last 15 years. I don't know why I remember it, but that is kind of personal to me to remember things about people, right? Not just weird things, just things about them. And I think that makes it personal. And you know, this talent, this business is all about talent and people. So... Do you have a different leadership style today with this generation versus maybe ones that you have you leveraged maybe in the 80s? I don't. Um, I think I actually showing up on a college campus and teaching a bunch of 20-year-olds and using that direct style and using teaching these children, and they are children, how to be responsive, right? And how not to hide behind social media and how not to hide behind electronics and actually engage live face-to-face with people. I still think that's, you know, building rapport is what life is going to be about and building friendships and building rapport with your customers. And that creates trust. So I teach that, right? And they're not used to that. They're used to you know, kind of hiding behind and I don't, not intentionally, that's just their generation, you know, electronics, right? And I'm teaching the opposite. There's no electronics in my class. I don't teach any of that way. I teach live interaction with real people. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. Public Sector NetApp, President Weber Strategies, and the current professor at Catholic University of America. So, Mark, what was the most important decisions you made as a leader for your organizations? What type of decisions that would keep you up at night thinking? One, only one decision. I mean, there's always a hundred you got to make, but the one is talent, picking talent. Um, and you know, I think that if you said what are the couple of things I'm good at, that was the one thing I got good at is picking talent, vetting through how to put together that baseball team, that team, and then what positions to put them in, right? So I think that is the most critical thing. If you look at any good organization, there's great products with every company, there's great things, but if you do not have the right talent and they're not playing the right position, you're not going to win, right? So it's about chemistry and it's about talent. How do you approach decisions with this talent that are going to make some major changes to your organization? How do you rally the troops around some pretty difficult, um, you know, goals and objectives? Yeah, um, I told you I'm pretty direct. And the way I make decisions, um, I'm pretty clear on how I'm going to make decisions. So there's three kind of decisions that I tell my team I'm going to make. And there's one that's like a consensus type decision. We're going to get everybody on the same page or, you know, or vote or whatever it is. And then there's a decision where I get input, but I'm still going to make the decision. And then the third type of decision I make is I'm making the decision, right? And what I'm do with my team, I was always very clear on what type of decision this was going to be. So they didn't give you... They didn't think it was a consensus decision, but you were just making a decision, right? So then they didn't think they were heard. So you have to be clear on what kind of decision you're making so they know how they're gonna, your team's going to deal with you. And right? provide that and, context. Yeah, right. I mean, so a lot of times people give you input and you really weren't looking for it. You were just going to make a decision so they feel unheard. So you have to be clear on what kind of decision you're going to make. Um, and that helped me, right, because I had clarity with my team. And I think clarity is a big deal in life. 
Mark, you've run some pretty large organizations and today run classrooms. As an organization gets larger, there can be a tendency for the institution to dampen inspiration. How do you keep that from happening in your old role or in today in the classroom? I think it's my job every day to show up with a smile on my face and have a good attitude, right? And I expect that from every one of my students. I expect that from every one of my employees over the years. So I haven't had a problem with that. I mean, if if people don't aren't excited to be there, then they shouldn't be there anymore. If they're not excited to be in that class or be at your company anymore, it's kind of okay, right? So I kind of put that on everybody. Everybody's supposed to show up with a smile and a good attitude. And if they're not, then it's time for them to do something else. It's just that simple. Um, and if you keep things simple, it usually works out better for you, right? Uh, I mean, I think I'm you know, can inspire people and get them excited. And so they're all headed in the same direction, but you can't make them smile and have fun. That's their job to show up and be part of the mission and add value to your culture. So have you faced a situation where you've had an employee that didn't smile, wasn't uh, inspired, um, really kind of was there, but didn't want to be there. So how did you handle it? I mean, to me, you sit down and just have a simple conversation, just kind of like what we're doing, and you just lay out the truth. You're not having fun. Doesn't seem like you're happy to be here, or it doesn't seem like you're energized right now. Maybe it's time for you to do something different. And 90% of the time, it kind of lifts a burden off people, and they realize maybe they're in a rut, or maybe they do need to make a change. One of the two happens, and, you know, a fork in the road happens, but... I don't think you beat around the bush with those things. You just, and you don't get angry. Just have a truthful conversation. It usually works out better for everybody. I'm speaking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. public sector NetApp, President Weber Strategies and current professor at Catholic University of America. After the break, we'll find out from Mark what it was like in the early days at Sun Microsystems. You're listening to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Radio, part of Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. public sector NetApp, president Weber Strategies, and current professor at Catholic University of America. Mark, you were, uh, not to age you, <laughs> but you were at the heydays of micro, Sun Microsystems during some of the biggest growth periods. Very exciting time. While you were at the helm, you grew some your the public sector uh, team seriously. I mean, uh, you know, more than tripled it. What were the revenues when you started at Sun and when you left? Uh, we were probably 150, 200 million dollars when we started. When I started taking over public sector, and when I left, it was about 1.5 billion for the public sector. So, pretty big growth. Yeah, uh, which meant a lot of hiring. A lot of fun, you know, a lot of careers impacted, a lot of people got into IT at that time. I mean, you remember the dot-com era, and we went through all that, and Sun was probably on the top of that curve at the time. So you accomplished, you were there a long time, how many years? I was there 13. 13 years. Yeah. So you were there a long time, um, so probably numerous, but any accomplishments or very vivid memories that you achieved in that role that you're most proud of? 
Well, I think it was um, touching people's careers. I really believe that was what I remember from it. It isn't every deal or every, you know, system we won or beat the competition. Those are good stories, but it was really all the people that came through the Sun Microsystems culture. And now you can look in the IT industry and see, you look at, you know, Dave Slosher who runs Thundercat. You look at Nick Michalitis who runs Cisco. You look at, and I can go down the list and list and list of leaders that run big organization that came through the culture of Sun Microsystem. That's, that's impactual. So they're still your good friends, but you watch them grow from, they were sales guys working for me and now they're running massive billion dollar organizations. It's pretty fun. Those are the stories you remember. So is there anything that you did that you would like to redo? Any lessons learned that, you know, there's, like you said, you've, you've helped form the foundation of so many leaders out there and very rapidly growing companies right now. Is there a lesson learned that you'd like to share well, with them? I think them? one of the lessons I learned at Sun that I was able to change when I went to NetApp was there was a lot of drink your own Kool-Aid, you know, the same people at Sun and they all grew up. Um, but when we went to NetApp, the lesson I learned was we needed diversity of thought. I could have easily just moved over to NetApp and hired, you know, 50, 100 Sun people because they were ready to do something different and try a new challenge. But if you don't have diversity of thought, you start thinking everything you do is right, right? When the competition's doing something right too, they're winning, they're doing good things. So I learned that you can't just hire people from the same place you came from. You need different cultures, different ideas. And sure comes along the real world, world of diversity, but the, what I'm talking about is diversity thinking, right? And, you know, somebody did it at SGI, but we were at Sun. Boy, they were winning too. So I like that thought. I like different ideas from different companies' background. And, I learned that lesson, and I think that made us even better at, at NetApp, right? Just because we had a lot of different inputs. So, again, a after Sun, you went to NetApp, which at the time was a very small company. Um, let me ask the same question. When you joined NetApp, and you were there over a decade. I was. Um, how big was uh, NetApp, and how big was it when you left? Uh, the federal team when I got there was $30 million bucks. And 15 of that came from one account. So we weren't very broad. And we were very deep in one intelligence agency, but the rest was kind of, you know, thin. Um, when I left there, we hit over a billion dollars in public sector. So that's pretty good growth, right? Um, and we were clearly, you know, number four or five in the data storage business in public sector. And we were clear number one with a large market share when that ended. Right. Or when I left, excuse me, I'm still going. What uh, you, you hear, you grew a great big organization, very successful at Sun. What made you jump back into the frying pan of a small company? What made you go to NetApp? Well, I mean, the truth is when you can get rid of a one point five billion dollar goal and take a thirty million dollar goal, that's pretty fun. You know that, <laughs> Eileen. Eileen, I mean, taking yeah, a different lower goal is kind of fun and starting all over again. But I think what my talent is. I'm not, I haven't been a startup guy. I'm not the first guy in. I think I'm a scale out guy. So we had already scaled Sun and I would call it more you're in the maintenance mode and they stayed at those numbers for a long time. But I'm a guy that likes to scale it out. So 
NetApp was not a startup at 30 million or the company was already at 500 million, but I got to scale it out and build that talent and really, you know, that was, that's my skill set and that's what I like to do. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. public sector NetApp, and current professor at Catholic University of America. Now, you achieved that very large and rapid growth under your leadership at NetApp, but what was the biggest challenge you had with a fast-growing organization in that situation? Because you went from $30 million to, you know, 1.5 or a billion dollars, I'm sorry, a billion yeah. dollars in, you know, in less than a decade. So, you know, how'd, you know, what was, how'd you do that? Well, I mean, the number one challenge every day when you're growing is finding the right talent. And I don't mean just skill set to sell, but the right chemistry that can fit into the team. I mean, you could hire prima donnas all day long, but that usually isn't the way you build a long-term culture, great cultured place where people want to stay for a long time. So you really had to find the right talent that was going to stay and build a long-term business for you. Um, so that was that was always the challenge, right? Um, finding the right talent. But then, you know, when you're growing like that, your expectations from the company are huge. So you have to learn to accept that you're going to get a big, huge goal the next year and you're going to have to double again and you're going to have to double again. You have to accept that and you have to embrace it. You have to enjoy it, actually. You can't fear the next year's number. Um, matter of fact, I never really thought about the next year until the, the year we were in was over. Like you said, no good deed goes unpunished in sales. And I'm, I'm sure that your targets always got bigger, doubled, tripled uh, from the year before. You talked about communication and clarity of that communication earlier in the first segment. How do you provide that vision so that people can embrace it to go take that hill? I think, first of all, you show them what the opportunity really is. I mean, you sit down and by account, by opportunity, by whatever it is, and you show them what the market opportunity is and you show them what we're getting out of that market opportunity. You show them where we are getting 50% of the market opportunity in this account, but we're only getting five or 10 in yours. It might sound like a big number, but there's still 90% market share to go get. And so you use math, you use logic, and then you use emotion too, obviously, that you're good, you're with a great company, and you've got all the resources you need to go win. And then you let them do their job, right? And you give them you know, your really leadership's job is to get things out of the way, right? So that people can be on the front line every day helping their customers solve problems, right? And if they're inside the company, they're not out solving customer problems, right? So your job is to knock all those issues out of the way. Clearly, you're a great leader, Mark. And with a strong loyalty, you have developed, uh, you know, many teams. And, and still that loyalty exists today. If I, I talk to some of the leaders of some very big companies, can you define what a great leader is and what traits you think leaders possess? I mean, I think of people that I admire and I look at them. So I'll just use an example. One of the founders of NetApp, a guy named Tom Mendoza. I mean, he's an icon in the IT business. He's a personally a very good friend, but he's just so positive. I mean, his outlook every day is just positive. He's tough, but he's fair, 
but he's also tons of fun. He shows up with a smile on his face, and he will do whatever it takes to help you. And I don't mean just win, just help you. Um, he had a, um, a thing he did all the time where it was called catch somebody doing something right. So he'd have anybody in the company could call him anytime and just say, hey, I saw this person doing this. Tom stopped whatever he was doing, wherever he was in the world, dialed that person's phone number, and it wasn't because they won a big deal. It could have been, you know, they solved a customer problem, or, you know, maybe they lost a deal, but they did all the right things. And he would call people and just thank them, you know, and so I, I took that from him a lot on, he created this culture of thank you, of appreciation. And, you know, people certainly in sales want big commission checks and want to make a lot of money. But, the, you know, a culture of appreciation and thank you, you wouldn't believe what pats on the back do for people. It's everything, right? People want to feel like, you know, they're worth something at your company. They want to feel like you appreciate them. I learned a lot of that from Tom. And, you know, so it's like anything in life. You find nuggets from other people and you use those. I'm speaking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. public sector NetApp, and current professor at Catholic University of America. Coming up next, we'll talk to Mark about marrying your passion with your skills and how it can really drive your career and how he's leveraging that to help the next generation at Catholic University. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, former U.S. Public Sector President, NetApp, and current professor at Catholic University of America. Now, Mark, it's very clear. You can see, you can feel, you know, if somebody was here in the studio, you're, you're viscerally, you can see your passion and your capabilities about what you believe in and helping develop uh, the next generation of talent. Do you think that has contributed to your success, your passion around what you do every day? Oh, for sure. I, I'm, I think every business, not just IT sales that I'm in or selling to the government and helping them, every business is all about people, right? And having the right talent. So if you're a great developer of talent, identify of a talent, and you're then able to empower that talent, oh my gosh. It's like winning a baseball game. It's like winning something, watching people grow. I love it. I just love it. And I think people should know your passions like that. You shouldn't, you know, hide what you're passionate about. People should know that. So you work with a lot of young people today that are just discovering what it is. And I don't know about you, but when I went to school, uh, I never thought I would be going this. I knew I was going to go into tech, but I didn't know that sales was my passion and, and that that would be where I'd find my home. Um, how do you help young people, you know, help find what lights their fire? Well, you know, I teach a sales class, which is kind of unique at the college level. More schools are now teaching sales. Most of us found sales not directly out of college. You kind of found it other ways. But what I'm teaching these kids is really not how to sell. I'm teaching them life skills. That's kind of what I say. I'm teaching them how to ask great questions, how to solve problems, how to go into customers and not talk but listen, and then you know craft the right dialogue so you get the information you need to solve their problem, how to network, 
I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of these younger talent, younger students don't, they're not used to being out networking, right? And talking to people they're not comfortable with. How to do that correctly. How to be responsive. As you know, being a career sales leader, uh, I mean, being responsive is everything, right? How, how to add value to your customers and bring them resources, bring them information, bring them what I call knowledge areas. Are you an expert in certain areas that they want to use you as a resource? So I'm teaching my students all of that. The outcome of that is they become resources to their customers and people buy a lot of things from people who are resources. So it's pretty fun. I mean, it's pretty fun to teach them what the world of sales is about because typical image of what sales is about they're, not, they're used to B2C sales, no, no disrespect, it's a great field, but we do B2B and it's just a longer term relationship building, trust building, you know, job. You know, there's so many positive things about our hyper-connected world, but one of the negatives I find is that a lot of uh, younger uh, folks that I know don't have an opportunity to personally network. They're networking a lot more online, they're not actually seeing people face-to-face as often. So when they get to the age where they're starting to look at jobs, that is something that could be a gap. Um, how do you think we can change that? Is it, you know, I, I have a particular passion. I don't think there's enough uh, mentorship or apprenticeship programs out there. Um, how can we change that from your perspective? You know, I start with the basics, like in my class, and I, I network. Um, I actually mentor about 150 students right now, and I teach about 50 of them. But the, the other ones are trying to get in my class or have already taken my class in some capacity. But mostly, I mean, it's one of the simplest things. I make them all do one-minute pitches to me. I make them, um, you know, so they learn how to give their pitch to a stranger or to somebody they're maybe lightly familiar with. I teach them a lot about just how to ask dialogue and have good questioning skills. I mean, you know, genuine curiosity is is a gift and how to have genuine curiosity in other people. Um, people want to talk about themselves. So if you're a good salesperson, you get them talking about your their issues, their problems. Not to be honest with you, this generation, the younger generation, isn't used to that. They're used to more talking about themselves, posting pictures about themselves. And I'm not criticizing that but they're not used to that skill. So you gotta kinda go back to the basics of human interaction, right? You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. Public Sector NetApp, and current professor at Catholic University of America. So Mark, let me ask you a question. What was your first job and how'd you get it? My first like out of college job or my first job job? Uh, what m- most meaningful job? How about that? Uh, okay, I was a high school umpire, in, you know, so I coached uh, umpired baseball. And then I sang in a dance in a show at King's Dominion for a couple of summers. Uh, that so I didn't are, know. Yeah, those were kind of <laughs> those were fun jobs. But my first job, Hewlett Packard sales rep, right out of Virginia Tech. So I got hired off campus to be a sales rep for Virginia Tech. And, you know, then they had a, you know, academy sales training program for nine months. And then I was a sales rep down in Virginia Beach selling to the Navy. That's how I learned to sell to the federal government. I moved to Virginia Beach. Uh, How has technology changed or helped for that first time job seeker versus when you and I got out of college in the early 80s? Well, clearly right now the economy is very strong, so there's plenty of jobs. Um, But still college kids don't know how to find them. They don't know how to network and find those jobs. 
So I believe that's one of the gifts I'm able to bring to this generation is use my network and introduce them to the right opportunities. Now, I don't get them jobs. They have to go prepared. But learning how to be prepared, learning how to go to win, right, and give them the right stories about yourself and how you're going to add value to their company. Um, those are the kind of things I work on with the students a lot. It's just it's fun to watch them grow. So obviously you must be recommending for folks to kind of follow in your same path. Um, so how do the, how do how do you get them started? Tell us about the program. Well, um, I've created a sales program. I've just made up a sales class. Now we have three sales classes at Catholic University. You can now minor in sales. And so we have a whole sales program going on. Um, so I'd say the majority of my students get a sales internship now. And most of those in high tech, just as my network, or they leverage their networks as well. But having a sales internship allows you to really understand what the profession is. About 20% of my students are engineers, and they're going to be sales engineers, so the person that teams with the sales rep. And I'll have about 60 students this year take sales jobs. From four years ago, we had zero taking sales jobs out of college. Um, and it's probably also what's exciting is they make very good money right out of college. I mean, the average kid out of college is making in the 50s. The average sales kid is starting in the high 70s. A sales engineer, much higher than that. So they have a good earning potential. Now they have to work and they're going to get measured every day. That's the thing about sales. You get measured. So the landscape with new, the, you know, the new hot new technologies is certainly changing. Um, having just worked at uh, some very large tech companies myself. You have. Uh, they, the, uh, the requirement is not necessarily to get a bachelor's degree, but actually to get some certification and ex some experience. Um, can you talk about that? And, and is that a better path or an alternative path, I should say, so, for somebody out there? So what I've found, uh, at least in the sales profession, it really doesn't matter what you major in. Um, you would think they're coming out of marketing, and clearly a lot of my students come out, but I've got philosophy majors, a drama major. Probably my best student ever was an opera major. They had great presence. They knew how to interact with people. They knew how to build rapport. And, and that's a lot of what, you know, obviously you have to have the intellect and the desire and the interest and the work ethic. But going into sales... It's really about the attitude and the person and their skill set and the amount of effort they want to put into it. But it's not one major. Um, do they need secondary degrees? It doesn't hurt, but it's not required. Uh, sales engineers, yes. There's a lot more training involved and a lot, you know, a lot more to it. If you were just starting out or deciding what to study as far as technology is concerned, what do you think the hottest technologies out there and the most roles that are opening? I mean, the clock speed of technology today is much shorter than it was even five years ago with the advent of, uh, you know, um, 5G and AI and you know, name of the you know, quantum computing. Yeah. So what would you focus on? I mean, there's two fields that I think are you know, obviously security is never going to stop being important. And it's been important for many years, but it's complicated. It takes a lot of different products to create a security stack at a company. So I kind of like some of these aggregators that 
you know, like a Zscaler and some of those type companies where they're doing the security, they're handling all the vulnerability and you run your data through their pipes and they cleanse it for you. They make, keep you safe. So I kind of like some of that because it, you know, kind of outsources some of the security to another company that runs the stack for you. It's pretty exciting stuff because um, it's complicated to run your own stack and build your own stack. I like also the RPA space, the robotic processing automation space, not robotics in that it's software automation is what that is. Um, so the companies like a UiPath, I mean, it is really, you know, what you and I would call writing scripts to automate things, right? That's the old word where they've got gooey, you know, easy tools to automate tasks where humans are still maybe matching up an invoice with a bill and determine if they should pay it. Why are you doing that when a computer can do all that and you can write little programs, uh, which the software writes for you, to determine that? So there's some really innovative ways to drive efficiencies out there. You're listening to Leaders in Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, president, uh, former president, U.S. Public Sector NetApp, uh, and current professor at Catholic University of America. Next, we'll find out how Mark got his start in sales. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. Public Sector NetApp, and current professor at Catholic University of America. So, Mark, before we start talking about where you're from, I got to ask you a question. Tell me about an accomplishment or a mistake that shaped your career. And any big lesson and advice you can give somebody out there? I look, I've got three or four pivot points in my career that I remember. It's hard to remember them when it's happening, but reflectively, you know. Um, and those were adversity points, right? I mean, real adversity in my career, in what I was doing and trying to go. Um, in hindsight, I think probably the best things ever happened to me was, you know, the, that adversity because it made you pivot. It made you think. It made you get your head out of the sand and stop doing the same thing every day and do something different, right? Um, so a lot of those were, you know, should you change companies? Could you stay with this company? Those were difficult decisions to leave a Sun Microsystems. Very difficult. But, you know, you, sometimes it's ready. You're ready for the next challenge, right? So I, I just remember some of those difficult, difficult opportunity decisions that you had to make. Probably from a leadership point of view, difficult, most difficult decisions or the, some of the bad ones I made were hiring decisions. You hire the wrong person in the wrong job and then you don't recognize it and deal with it for a while. It's bad. It takes years to recover. Years. I mean, you got the wrong person in the wrong job and they're leading a piece of business. It'll set you back years. So I'm okay with bad decisions. That's normal. You're going to make them because you're making a lot of decisions. You're going to, it's really, what do you do about it? Do you know how to pivot? Do you know how to adjust? Are you willing to change your mind? Which heck yeah, if I can get it right and I got it wrong before, You'll learn that lesson pretty quick about learning how to change your mind quickly and adjust. So those are some of the lessons I think about is, you know, sometimes you didn't adjust fast enough, right? And that was bad. And it cost you millions and millions of dollars of opportunity 
Because you didn't make a decision or your pride got in the way of you changing your mind. So, Mark, Mark let's take a step back. Yeah. Where did you grow up? And, and where did you go to college? I, went, I, I, I know that answer, though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's one of my passions. I would say most people know where I went to school because I'm passionate about it. I grew up in Richmond. I went to a Catholic boys' school there, and um, I went to Virginia Tech. Why? I was going to be an engineer, and it's probably the primo engineering school for in-state. Um, that's why I went there, and I'm a pretty big Hokie fan. I'm very passionate about it. I got five children, and three of them have gone there, too. So three of my five got it, got it right, as I say, right? <laughs> I'm <Okay>. kidding. <laughs> the other ones did well, too. So you majored in industrial engineering and research operations. Tell me it's about that. industrial engineering operations research. So now the major is called ISE, industrial and systems engineering. Uh, a lot of people, when I went to school, called it imaginary engineering, <laughs> just because it's one of the easier engineering. It's still engineering. It's still hard. But I knew I wasn't going to be an electrical or mechanical. And this was uh, had a lot more business to it, a lot more statistics, so a lot more you know economics to it. So that's why I chose that one. So if I was to go back and tap Mark on the shoulder at 22 years old and told him, hey, this is what... Mark's going to be doing at, you know, your age now, what do you think you would say? I would say that I knew what I was going to be doing and I did it. <laughs> I did. I mean, I knew I was going to go into sales and that's why I got an engineering degree. And, I, you know, so, and then I was in sales for 35 years. So um, I think I found my destiny early, or, which is pretty exciting. Um, but I thought I'd be a sales rep longer. And I was only a sales rep for like six or seven years. So most of my career was in sales leadership. That I did not know is what I would spend most of my career leading, you know, hiring people. I, I didn't know that for sure. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Mark Weber, former president, U.S. public sector, and current professor at Catholic University. So, Mark, uh, you know, let me ask you, uh, what would you, what, what is the next big challenge you believe for today's leaders or what is the next big challenge you're going to take on? Well, I think for today's leader, particularly, I loved working with the government. I think there's so many talented and passionate people there. Um, so I spent most of my career selling to the government and I enjoyed it. I really did. I just think it's People are so dedicated to it. It's uh, like a twofer, a threefer, because you're not only is one of the largest markets in the world, but you get to help a mission like, you know, you get the bad guy or, you know, get little ladies their checks for, you know. Or solve problems yeah. because they're trying to serve a constituent that's exactly. 300 million people and it's hard. Their problems are so big. Their opportunities are so big. Um, so I see their challenges as massive just massive is some of the biggest challenges in the world, you know, to serve the constituents of the United States of America. It's hard, but they're tough for them because the talent pool is hard. I mean, the unemployment rates are super low and how do they get talent? I see that as a big, big deal for them. So, but the opportunity for IT to modernize them and get them more efficient, that's what I always loved about it. How do I help them with their biggest issue, which was talent? And then you could use software and technology to overcome their lack of being able to hire people, right, and find enough talent. So let's turn that around for a second. You know, most of the time in industry where you've, you were in industry, very fast growing companies, 
We're also introducing new technologies to solve problems that maybe people hadn't thought of before. Um, how would you advise somebody out there who's trying to do that? You know, you're, you're trying to introduce something that's different. They're going to change the what they do when they come to work in the morning. Th- those are big orders. They are. I mean, I, I actually, I, I didn't know I did this my whole career until you have to teach it. You know, I teach sales now. I just did it before. <laughs> now I have to actually understand what we were doing for 30 years. And so one of the things is, you walk into a customer and sometimes they know they have a need, right? I need more storage. I need more of this. But most of the time, they don't know they need something because they don't know this technology exists. They don't know it can change the way they process information or the way they serve their constituents. constituents. So you have to go in there and create that need. And you have to go in there. And that's really you do that with education. Most selling is teaching people stuff, educating them on the art of the possibility. That's what selling really is. It's not going in there and telling them the features and benefits. It's really showing them what the world could look like or their environment could look like. So last question, and you've learned so much today. Your career and success you've had have truly been inspirational. Any pearls of wisdom you have for the next generation of government leaders or or tech leaders? I mean, my pearls of wisdom is, you know, lead a balanced life. I mean, I loved working every day, but, you know, if if you're in balance, you're not a good employee, right? I mean, so if your family life's a mess, you're not going to be really good at work either because you're working too much. If you're working too much, your family. So you got to figure out a way to balance that. Everybody's balance is different. So I'm not advocating my level of balance or how I did it. But you really, to be a healthy, good, great contributor to, you know, your family and to work, you got to figure out how to balance that out and keep both sides happy, right? And and that's a tough skill. And I always like to say, you have to take those subconscious things, which that just happens every day, and make it conscious. If you want to be really good at something, you have to make that subconscious thing conscious and focus on it. So I think that's the one advice I give a lot of students. How do you take the things you do and make them conscious and get better at them? You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Mark Weber. Mark, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some very valuable advice. Well, thanks for being such a long-term friend, too, Aileen. I've enjoyed our friendship. I have, too. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.